Happy Mother's Day. If you hadn't called your mom, you still have that privilege. Take advantage of that. If you've got an info guide, you'll notice that we're taking a break from our study in Abraham and Isaac, and we'll pick back up on that next week. Because we as your pastors across all three campuses feel a, a great need is upon us and need to clarify and completely be clear about our distinct responsibility to our children, both in our own families and in God's church. So who is this message for today? If you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, I'm, I'm not talking to you. Specifically this morning, hone in to parents and grandparents. But at the same time, don't check out on me. I'm talking about the church. So we're gonna we're gonna understand and bring clarity and appreciate so much the worship team and how they have exalted Christ and the gospel this morning, and especially accented the love of God He has for us. Because we who are who are parents understand that love looks different ways at different times. Sometimes it looks like a kiss on the cheek, and sometimes it looks like a spanking. Sometimes it just looks like a warning. And we may experience all three this morning. <laughs> he does it, children of God, because he loves us. We are admonished and we are warned and we are encouraged because we are his children. And that's good news this morning. So don't react rashly towards things I say. Take notes. Go to growth group. <laughs> and make a date night out of this message to go and talk about what we talk about today. So uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we, as we begin this time together. Lord, uh, as we come before you and your word opens... Our hearts ready as your children. Lord, we desire things. And Lord, the world we, give in, we, we live in clutters our mind, our priorities, our expectations. Even this Mother's Day, we acknowledge this day is not always a comfortable day for everyone here. So Lord, I, I thank you for mothers as how they model you as the giver of life. Our mothers give us life, and we honor them today for that. We honor you because you allowed us to have one. And so, Lord, help us today, we pray. Give us wisdom. Give us, fill us with your spirit as we look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we, you can open up your Bibles to Matthew 28, 18. That's just where we'll begin today. We're dealing with two tensions in the visible church today. All kind of things in the middle. I just want to paint these two extremes for you this morning and just think about them as these two speakers. Uh, one extreme looks like this. Preacher, all I need you to preach God's word, I will raise my kids, disciple my kids on my own. Thank you very much. That exists. I got it. That's what we're saying. I got it. Don't need the church as far as parenting goes. The other extreme is way over there. And it says, answer the question, what's your responsibility to disciple your kids? 
they would say, bring them to church, right? I mean, we go to Awanas or, I mean, we do it all. I bring them to church. And so, in other words, what we're saying is, I'll let the professionals disciple my kids. You see the two extremes? And they are really opposites. And, and then we have all kinds of things in the middle, and so I, we want to clarify today. How can we orient ourselves? It's much like being lost in the woods or you ever watched a program where people lost at sea? I hope you've never been lost at sea. That would really, that would really be a bad thing for me. That's, I think it's, I've been lost in the woods before, and that's not a pleasant experience. How do you get your bearings? How do you orient yourself? Some have called Matthew 28, 18 for the Christian family, for the Christian parent, and for all believers. It is our North Star. It is what we use when we are disoriented, when we are even lost or confused to get our bearings. And so we want to this morning to open up our Bibles and turn to Matthew 28, 18 and begin there this morning. And let that be as us, let it orient us in our thinking this morning when we come to this understanding of what is our, this question, what is our responsibility to our kids? So Jesus, speaking to his disciples and those disciples that they would make after them, says, Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. And so if we were just coming and we were preaching a message on missions, what is our responsibility as it relates to, to our mission for being here? We would look at this verse, these verses clearly and say, well, it seems very clear that Jesus is saying he has all authority. He's been given all authority. And as someone who he has been given all authority, he is making an authoritative command to those who are in him, to his disciples. And this command has one central command, make disciples. Everything else comes along the side of that, baptizing, teaching. And so then the assumption for those who are in Christ, that are his disciples, who live in his kingdom, is to submit through obedience of what he said. So do you see, as whether you're a parent or a grandparent in the room, this should begin to orient us in a particular direction. And so we, we begin today understanding that we need to be oriented in two ways, both as God's church and in our individual lives as parents and grandparents. What do we desire for our children? It is my prayer that we desire what God desires. What does God desire? If you've got your Bibles, Matthew, just turn back one book into the Old Testament to Malachi. Malachi 2.15. If you ever have a deluded idea that the, that the Bible likes divorce, read Malachi. Malachi is speaking about marital faithfulness. And in this context, he says in Malachi 2 verse 15, Speaking of marriage, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. 
What do we desire for our kids? What do we desire for ourselves? Godly offspring. So this begins with understanding that we are God's covenant people. And so turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. So if you've ever been in any parenting sermon or, or class, this is going to be a, a chapter you've seen before. You should be familiar with it, but understand this is written to God's covenant people. And so he writes in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1, Moses to God's people. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. I simply want you to see in verse 2 that to God's covenant people is given a covenant responsibility to fear God. That fear of God bleeds out in obedience to God. And that we are supposed to take that and this is what we pass on to the next generation. So then our starting point then is God's covenant people. We are to fear the Lord and to obey Him and to pass that on to our posterity. Therefore, our distinct responsibility to our children birthed from our Lord God and our love for Him. This is what Deuteronomy says as we keep going. We look at verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. This for the Jewish people was the Shema. And for them, this was the summary of the whole law. As if the whole law sits on it, or even as it were, this is the very center, the very heart of the law. So you can look at any aspect of the law and say, this is written to God's covenant people. A people who has given the heart of the command, the purpose of that command was for them to express their love and fidelity to their God. This bleeds out from this undivided God, this indivisible God. From us then, first understanding is godly parenting birth from our total allegiance to God. Our total allegiance to God. Allegiance looks like faithfulness. This is why Malachi uses marriage as a picture. Marriage is a display, a display of this indivisible God. This is why God hates divorce, because it displays a part of God's character that does not exist. God is not divided, and He is faithful, and so is our allegiance to Him. Pastor Ben writes all our growth group material, and there's one thing he's been emphasizing is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the blazing center of our lives. Therefore, our allegiance is directed towards a person. He is the object of our allegiance. So, first principle here should be very clear. As parents, we are not making well-mannered moral offspring we are commanded to make God lovers. God lovers. This is, this is the heart. It comes from our allegiance and our faithfulness to this one God and 
Not only that, but allegiance looks like faithfulness. It also looks like loyalty. Loyalty as to a king. Yahweh is their God. He is their people. And God, listen to this, this is important. God is undivided. Therefore, everything about Him is undivided. And so He expects from His people that our love be undivided. That our faithfulness be undivided. That our purity be undivided. Everything is an expression of who He is. So God's people cannot compartmentalize their faith. It is impossible. We are to love our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and our strength. And that affects everything we do. But we as parents are believers then under authority. We're under God's authority. And our kids know this. How? By how we live. And primarily, listen, look at the text, by how we love our God. By how we love God's people. And so here's a question that I have for us this morning. I've asked all these questions of myself before I bring them to you. How do we make decisions on how involved and active our kids are in the culture in which they live? In other words, I'm not asking you to get out the scissors and start cutting things out of your life. I'm asking you to at least put everything on the table and ask, what's informing these decisions? Is it my total allegiance to God? As his covenant people? Or is it a culture? A culture, see, a culture tells us that activity means healthy. As long as my kids are busy, I'll keep them out of trouble. Listen, that's the way the pagans parent. That is not the way believers do. Busyness does not mean healthy. Busyness does not mean love. If we are not careful... Mothers will put on themselves burdens, and they do it like this. My kids have to blank. They need blank. If I don't blank, then I'm not a good mother. You see, those blanks exist. And either our allegiance to God fills in the blanks, or our culture will, and you can count on it. What is our allegiance to? What is in the blanks this morning? And here's what he's saying. How you fill fill in the blanks determines what's on your heart. Verse 6, And these words that I commend you today shall be on your heart. In other words, we have to have, have internalized the person and the nature and the character and the purposes and the works of God because we cannot pass on what we do not know, what we have not meditated on. We won't pass on what's not a conviction. We won't. Our passionate convictions affects our decisions in the everyday ordinary life. So as we come there, we see both in the homes, in our home, and in the church, our distinct responsibility to our children encompasses all facets of life and must be done with diligence. This is a diligent work. It continues on in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. And it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So notice first in verse 7, 
You've got to, you shall teach them. Teaching. What, is, what does that word mean? Here's what Moses is saying. I taught you this. Now teach this to your children. You see, this is important context. Before, before the intertestamental period of the Bible, that is, the point where Scripture goes silent from the Old Testament and Jesus comes on the scene. Before that, there's no record of any school in Israel. In other words, it was the family who was the source of all education, including how their child, how their son was going to provide for his family. In other words, daddy understood. If I don't teach Johnny how to do something, he's not going to provide for his family. Do you see the urgency in that? This was part of their cultural context. And so it is into that context that Moses says, you shall teach this diligently to your kids. This word teach is, is a Hebrew verb that means to sharpen or to hone. It's the picture of, of a knife that's constantly being sharpened, constantly being honed. So the thrust is this, is Israel is supposed to be constantly sharpening, honing the blades of their kids with the Word of God. So how do we do that? The text tells us in verse 7a, it says, And shall talk of them when you sit in the house. In other words, how do we pass on the faith to our kids? We have to have a faith to talk. This is formal. This is formal teaching time. The Bible is telling us. Listen to what it says. This is interesting. You see that word, shall teach diligently. diligently. That's one word. It means to hone and to hone and to, or to sharpen repeatedly over and over and over and over again. This is what we must do as a parent. This is what God's people were to do, to penetrate God's word repeatedly over into their children. How do we do this as parents? There must be formal times, whether that is formal, formal devotions, supper exhortations, or question and answers while we eat, or maybe your child, children are young and you can do it while they're given a bath. This means that there must be a time that is repeated and is consistent that we are investing God's word into our kids. Here is another question. Do you eat together or are you always going from one activity to another? Listen, you have to use discernment. I'm not going to caveat, caveat everything I say today. Understand the principle. There has to be times of formal teaching. But here's what I'm concerned about. Investing in your kids is not simply bringing them to church. But nor is it keeping them constantly busy going from one activity to the other. It's absolutely possible that we can act in our lives, our everyday lives, like saved pagans who bring people to our kids to church on Sunday but have no intentional plan to teach them throughout the week. The Bible says, Men, this lies at your feet. Teaching and governing your home is your primary responsibility. And what is he saying to you? Is he saying that what you need to do is say, All right, Johnny, I want you to memorize the Ten Commandments, and Friday we're going to have a pop quiz. Is that what he's saying? That's not what he's saying at all. Look back at verse 4 and 5. He's saying, You teach Johnny to love his God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength. That's the very reason why we teach. The laws only make sense 
if they see that a person who's teaching them loves God. That's our motivation for why we do what we do. Men, do your kids see our passion, your passion for God? Or is the most excited we get is when the ref makes a bad call? We're teaching our kids. We are. And God says that we seek first His kingdom of God and His righteousness. So we either seek that or we seek the kingdom of man and give that to our children. There is no middle ground, you see. Here's what I'm afraid of. We're not fighting the battles of our faith with our children. In other words, out of misplaced love, we are shielding our children from the losses and crosses of our life instead of letting them walk through them with you. Walk through that with your children. And when you come out on the other side and God, has, as faithful, brings you through it, you stop, you remember, and you worship your God. This is how our kids learn. They do not learn by sheltering them. They learn by why they are under your protection. You suffer beside of them. They watch you suffer. They watch you struggle. They watch you repent. This is how we parent. This is the connection between a faith that talks and a faith that walks. But he also says, we do it when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. So this is our ordinary life, just as we go. Do you talk to your kids and do they listen? Listen to me, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this. Most of kids, our kids are not listening because we have already given them someone to disciple them. We've given them technology. And you see, it used to be a day to where a family would sit around the table and the children would be quiet and they would listen to the adults talk and they learned. They learned as they went. Here's our, my question for you. If we have always given our children something in their hands to keep their minds honed in on, what are we teaching them? I submit to you to consider that what we are teaching them is to devalue the family. We are teaching them to devalue the home and, most importantly, to devalue people. I know that it's easy to babysit our kids with technology so we don't have to discipline them. But lazy parenting not only destroys our kids, but it destroys the intimacy of the family, and it will decimate the next generation. We, will, we do not make our plates and go to the other room. We can't engage our kids. Think about this. We can't engage our kids in ordinary life when they are living in a life that doesn't exist. Not only them, think about us. We sit around as a family and both of us are living in lives that don't exist and we're missing the life that does. This is what God has told them. I am everywhere. I created all things Use them to disciple your kids in the everyday things of life. Verse 8 and verse 9 says you cannot teach them 
what hasn't been bound to you. And so we have this picture. The Jewish people actually did it physically. This means something. It means He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. You see, your heads or your hands is your actions and your attitudes. This is our actions and our attitudes in our everyday life. You see, what we think about, what we put in our mind as a majority of our time, is what we have to give to others. It's what we will give. And the Bible makes it clear that, yes, what we say whispers, but what we do screams. It screams into the life of those who watch us, specifically our children. It says, not only that, but the door frames and the gates of your home. In other words, are you consistent in your lifestyle here and here? You want to provoke your children to anger, model hypocrisy. We need to be consistent. And listen, I know the hardest place to be consistently like Christ is in your home. But what is Deuteronomy 6 telling, saying to God's people? Moses is saying God demands from his people to teach God's expectations to their children. For, God's, for, for our grand and to our grandchildren, whether it's our children or grandchildren, we teach them and we do it in all of life settings, formally, informally. But if that is true, what does it look like for blood-bought children of God, of Christ, that we must see that our distinct responsibility as new covenant children of God must be to make disciples? That's our focus. And so we return back to Matthew, to our North Star, and we look at it when it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And we say, how should the Great Commission orient all we do as parents? How does it orient me? Well, quite honestly, as we think about the Great Commission, we back up for a minute and say, what did Jesus do to make mature, developing disciples of Jesus? What did he do? We start a class that meets on this day of the week. No. He lived with them. He taught them. He trained them. He tested them. He quizzed them. They learned three ways by observing his life, his words, and his actions. Does it sound like parenting? He was always living with the disciples. They saw everything he did. Mark 3, verse 14, we see Jesus living in intimate community. But this intimate community has a mission. You see, this, helps, this is why the Great Commission helps clarify us and our role as parents and our role as the church. Mark 3, 14, it says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. He, he, he's with them. But he also has a plan to send them out. You see, discipleship is not mass production. And any time the church tries to turn it into that, it ceases to be that. It is intentionally individual. 
It's investing. It's living. It's teaching personally, individually with someone. But that has a mission. The mission is to this person that I teach, that I pour myself into, that there is an expectation by that person to go teach that to someone else. Listen, this is your parenting. You're teaching them to send them out. You're not teaching them to hold them under a little umbrella. You're teaching them to send them out. As a warrior shoots an arrow, so we send out our kids. And we send them out to a hostile world. This is not an impersonal program. This is not guiding systems. This is living and loving people. Investing your life and teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ and then send them out to do the same. This is, this is discipleship. This is parenting. And so, turn with me to Ephesians 6. Let's ask the question. Well, let's say, brothers and sisters, discipleship will simply not take care of itself. It doesn't happen by osmosis. So let's go into our homes. Ephesians 6, look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is an appeal to fathers. Fathers, look at what God's Word says. It's a warning us, giving us a command. Don't do it. Don't provoke your children to anger. How do you provoke your children to anger? Because you don't teach them to obey. That's how we provoke them to anger. Just what it's what you don't do. In other words, when a child when a child is two or three years old and they obstinately refuse to obey a teacher, that's just not a kid problem. That's a parent problem. We give kids authority they can't handle. We reason with children who are designed to be led so that one day they might lead. You see, we are modeling a model that does not live under God's authority. We model people. We are God's children, and we live under His authority, and that's what we model. This is why our children live underneath our authority. This is why we must teach them to obey. Listen, I know it's easier to entertain than to discipline and instruct our kids, but discipleship equals discipline and instruction. If you're not discipling and dis- disciplining and instructing, you're not discipling. And if we're not doing that at home, it makes absolutely no difference or little difference to what the church does. See if I can give you some intensity. It's a really good book called The Disciple Making Parent. Very clear a guide on what this looks like, but listen to what this says. Why is this discipleship, this passing on the faith, so difficult? Passing on the faith has been compared to handing off a baton in a relay race. And there are many things to commend that analogy to us. There is a real gospel, the baton, to pass on. It must be passed on individually. The one with the baton has to hold it out. The one receiving the baton has to reach back forward and close his hands around it. There is a time to pass on the baton, the exchange jump, exchange zone, and the, which won't last forever. All of these are excellent pictures to help us think through this subject. But there is a problem with this illustration, however. We are not 
handing off the baton at a friendly track meet. Rather, this exchange takes place on a battlefield. We are attempting to pass on this baton of the gospel while we and our children are being shot at. And what about those observing in the stands? A few are cheering us on, but many in the stands, that is the world, are laughing at our child's attempt to run the race. In other words, this morning, do you disciple your children and do you disciple the children here at Parkwood as if their very lives depended on it? Am I faithfully parenting the children that the Lord has entrusted to my family? 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. You see in Timothy, Paul speaking to Timothy, whom he discipled, whom he led to Christ and discipled. Paul's speaking to him. Listen to what he says. Listen to where he goes. I am reminded, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now flip over with me a page in your, in your Bible, one page in mine, to chapter 3, verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So you do, do, you just see, do you see this other extreme? This I'll drop them off and let the professionals do it. Paul did not go there. He did not say just like your preacher preached it. Or, or just like I said. He said, remember who your primary influencers were in your home? It was your mother and your grandmother. So you see not all family dynamics look exactly the same. Here you have a different model. But we have the home being the primary influence. They are the one who passed on the faith. They were primary. The quote that's on the screen. God gives us little children so that we can influence them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who love Him and love others. It is messy and inefficient, rewarding and frustrating, and ultimately profoundly glorious work. He goes on to say, We discipline our children not so they will make us happy, but so that they will serve Christ as adults. We educate them not so that they can have a good job, but to develop them to be the best follower of Jesus they can be. We work hard to prepare them not for graduation day, but for judgment day. There is two things that are guaranteed with your children. And our children here at Parkwood... One day they will leave our protection and one day they will stand before their God. And we have a responsibility under God as God's covenant people to protect them and give them the gospel because it is the only thing that will carry them through life. Am I faithfully stewarding the gifts God has given me to sacrificially carry out His commands to make disciples of the next generation listen to me through the church? Colossians 1, 28 and 29 Notice the everyone. Colossians 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with his energy and the powerful works within me. I want you to know, since we started two services, we've averaged 53 kids in kids' ministry weekly. There are many churches around here that would love to have that many kids. And listen to me, to whom much is given, much is required. Let me say this, I'm so proud of you. I see so much maturity and growth as, as we have went to all these, did, embraced all these changes and involved a, so much work from you, but I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to see the urgency of how much I believe it. I've asked for permission from Chris and Jacob to share the story. There was a time in Jacob's life between about 15 to 17 that he doubted his whole thing. Is this your faith? Is this my faith? Is this what they believe or what I believe? I don't know if I agree with any of this mess. It was his crisis of belief, and if you've ever had a child to go through it, you know what, I, what we as parents were feeling. As we, as we realized that our influence of our child was, was beginning as he's emerging into adulthood, And then I heard of a, a dude who drove a tow truck, a repo man, who had, in, because he worked in student ministry, had begun to invest in his life. And when he got to his crisis of belief, there was another man, another child of God that was standing there. And I thought, I've thought a lot about what I'm about to say, and I want you to listen to me. Hear my, heed my warning. If you believe you can do everything by yourself to disciple your kids to adulthood, you are selfishly deceived. And one day, when your child begins to emerge into adulthood, your window of influence will wane, and you will pray to God there is another brother and sister in God's covenant family that will be there to help your grown child walk with Christ, because I can promise you someone's going to be there. What am I saying? God has given you a church. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Don't rob your kids of the joy and the security of His church. Jesus died. He died not only to give us Himself, not only to bring us back to God, but to give us a family. This is why He's done. He's given us a family. And we must labor together for the growth of all believers. didn't use this in the first service. It's a profound picture. Is Parkwood an orphanage or a family? An orphanage or a family. You see the difference. There's a huge difference. You see, an orphanage is characterized by two or three overworked staff caring for a bunch of underserved kids. An orphanage depends on two or three staff people do all the work. There's no expectation for the orphan. No burden. But you see, that's not the way a healthy family works. In a healthy family, it's a place where all members are all in. In other words, if your child can walk, they can contribute to the family. And you provoke them to anger if you do not let them. child is part of a family. They're, they don't live in an orphanage. And oftentimes our churches are so dysfunctional because our families are. We're treating our family like an orphanage. We're treating our mom like an orphan worker who has to serve the kids all day. 
This is a family, and everyone is, is to contribute. And men, you're the head of that family. Life is not a field trip. It's a family. Man, is this the way you're managing your home? How are we going to partner with you? Notice the way I said that. How are we going to partner with you? What am I saying? I'm saying you're primary. <laughs> you're primary. We're primary, and I hope we've seen this through God's Word. So how am I, how are we as the church going to primary with you? Just a little 